book in the world. Did you know that? New York Times doesn't even put it on its best-selling list because it's the best-selling book every year. Over 7 billion copies have been sold. It just gets boring putting it on the best-selling list, the New York Times best-selling list. Everyone just knows it's the best-selling book. Well, that's because the best-selling author. God is the author and God is love. Well, we'd expect love would be a theme of the Scriptures. But let me just give you a couple of verses we could give so many. The real key verse for the church is John 13, 34, and 35. Hours before our Lord's death, he said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Gentlemen, listen carefully. If you don't, you're going to be fighting to death when I leave. Love one another as I've loved you. There's a new commandment. This new commandment, love one another as I have loved you, by this all men will know you're my disciples, that you love one another. It, it goes through all the arteries and veins of the New Testament. It's all through the New Testament. You just don't notice it. Let me give you an example. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What is that? That's the new commandment applied to husbands. Reminds me of a story I heard about George Verra from Operation Mobilization. He has the largest book-selling ship in the world on the ocean. Now, last year, over 20 million people entered this ship to buy Bibles and books. It goes all over the world. But George Verra says when he was at Moody Bible Institute, they got married, he and his wife. They were just teenagers still. And uh, <clears throat> right after they were married, he said to his wife, Look at Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your husbands. And he just showed her, Wives, submit to your husbands. They had a wonderful marriage for two weeks. And then she found Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. She said, I changed our marriage. The focus was now on me, not her. That's the new commandment. It's applied all different ways in the New Testament. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak with heavenly language... If I knew everything about the Bible and theology, I exercised a greater faith than Abraham or George Mueller. And if I gave everything to the poor, and I even gave my body to be burned as a missionary, but it wasn't motivated by love or colored by love, it's spiritual bankruptcy. It's actually zero. I wonder if we believe that. That's quite a statement. In Romans 12, which we're going to open in just a minute, uh, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, and then follows the commandment of hospitality. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere, a sincere, there is a hypocritical, sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And then a little later, chapter 4, we're going to come to these, we're going to go back to these, above all, Keep fervent, very strong word, in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And then remember John 3.16, which is uh, John 13.34 and 35. We know love. We know love because he laid down his life for us. And the kind of love I want you to have is that you will lay down your life for one another. And then John goes on to say in verse 18, don't just love with words, uh, love with deeds and action. In other words, Love is a word you can use very easily, but the practice of it is a different thing. But there's a verse I want you to know. In fact, why don't you turn your Bibles right now to Revelation chapter 2. And um, Steve had mentioned uh, the book Love or Die, which is really an exposition of this passage. And the reason this passage is so important is because this church in Ephesus is like your church and my church. The church in Ephesus was a good church. 
love sound doctrine. It disciplined false teachers. They had many, many works. And uh, all the virtues of that church we should follow. We're like the church in Ephesus. The church I go to is like the church in Ephesus. But then the Lord has to say this in verse 4, but I have this against you. How could he say that? It sounds so trivial. After all these good things, standing up against persecution, disciplining the agents of Satan, throwing them out of the church. But I have this against you. You've abandoned, you have forsaken the love you had at first. And he says, if you don't go back to that love, to the high mountains of love, I'll remove your church. I'll remove your candlestick. Now, these are the words of Jesus Christ. He is saying to a good church, if you do not have the love that you had in those early years, I'll remove the church. If you read that little book, you can read it in 45 minutes. I list all the reasons why Jesus said this and why love is so important to his church. Now, this is the background to our next point, the missing jewel of Christian hospitality. Christian hospitality is the outworking, is a visible, tangible, concrete way we act out love and the family nature. So, you know what the church is. It's a real, spirit-indwelt family for eternity. It doesn't end at the grave. Blood relatives ends at the grave. It's done. But this family is God's eternal family who will live on the new heaven and the new earth. And there won't be any sin there. Now the family of God sometimes is pretty hard. We do some pretty heavy damage to one another. We don't mean to do it, but it's our nature because we're sinners and we're jealous little, petty little creatures if we were honest with ourselves and we're proud and we're selfish and so we fight with one another. We do damage to one another, but not in the new heavens and new earth. Pure, perfect love. Now, we want to look at hospitality as a biblical command. Don't you love all this modern technology? This is a high-tech church, I'll tell you. The hospitality command. So let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We have to move quickly because I'm told to be done by 12 noon, before 12 noon. Romans chapter 12. And uh, you know this chapter glorious chapter after the most beautiful, magnificent explanation of the gospel, Paul says, offer yourself to God. It's the only reasonable thing to do. God gave himself for you. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Then he talks about spiritual gifts. And then in chapter 12, verse 9, verse 9, it's a caption. It's a caption. He says this, let love be without hypocrisy. Some of your Bibles say, let love be sincere. What he means by this is it's very easy to use the words of love. Real easy to talk to talk of love. It's real easy. We throw those words around like nothing. But it can be very hypocritical. It can mean nothing. So he says, don't let love be with hypocrisy. Or let love be really sincere. Let it be really genuine. Well, what would that look like? The rest of the chapter tells you. And it's a whole bunch of little staccato commands. All those little commands are the outworking of what a sincere love would be. Now, I must take just a side trail for a moment. You know why we ask people to read their Bibles regularly? Because when you read all these little commands here, you will forget them about a week later. And that's why you have to refresh yourself every year in reading the Bible. 
because you forget these things. I forget them. I read them and forget them almost immediately. So by rereading the Bible, you are refreshed in what it is we are to be and how we're to live. So that's why we ask you to read the Bible and why we need to read the Bible regularly, because we've got forgetters for ahead. So the caption is sincere love. Now, in verse 10, he reinforces that and he says this, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now, he uses here, I'm being caught by this machine. I could have been killed. Who knows? (laughs) Don't worry, I don't sue. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And he uses a really strong, rare word there. And that first word, devoted, means have tender family affections. Have tender family affection or lovingly, loving dearly. It denotes a warm familial love. It's a very strong term. Now, my friends, you, you cannot love dearly or warmly or sincerely in brotherly love for one another one hour a week meeting each other here. Giving a handshake and a smile, hoping we don't run into each other the rest of the week. And that's why he says let love be sincere, because it can be very insincere and it can just be surfacy. Uh, or what we call churchy love. You know what churchy love is? Ends at the back door. Ends at the parking lot. Oh, we love you, brother. Hey, go for it. Go. Ooh, hope I don't see them again. Creepy people. But anyway, it's impossible to really love one another one hour a week just in the sanctuary. It's got to spill out into real life. And there is nothing like being with one another in a home to get to know one another. In the intimacy of togetherness around a table. But then he says this in verse 13. Notice verse 13. Uh, One of these little tiny commands, but all the commands come under the caption of love. So he says here in verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints. In other words, give your money to people in need. Practicing hospitality. Now, I've just got to say something. The, The translation in almost all Bibles is a bit weak. The word practicing is really the word strive for, pursue. Leon Morris says points to vigorous effort. You can see that uh, uh, pursuing is a much stronger concept. In other words, we are to promote it, we are to aspire to it, we are to think about it, we are to plan for it, we are to prepare for it, we are to pray about it, and we are to seek opportunities. It's a stronger word. Actually, the word is sometimes used of a hunter pursuing the prey. And so Linsky, the great uh, Lutheran commentator, says this, as for hospitality, pursue it. Hospitality is literally to be chased after as one hunts an animal and delights in carrying the booty home. So, it's a strong command here. Pursue, chase after hospitality. Because it's a concrete working out of the caption, let your love be sincere. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, if you would just turn there, 1 Peter chapter 4. And this is a marvelous passage that refers to all of us in spiritual gifts. In 1 Peter chapter 4, and remember, the believers are suffering persecution. Can I remind you that? They're suffering. There's a hostile environment they're in. And whenever there's suffering and hostility, as we see throughout the world right now, just in the last two weeks, numbers of Christians were martyred in Pakistan and other places. Maybe you saw that terrible bombing. Most of those people were true born-again Christians. 
Imagine going to church and having the possibility of someone throwing a hand grenade in here. I wonder how many of you would attend. I'd think twice. And so under this pressure and under this hostility, Peter has some very important words of exhortation. But notice verse 8. Above all, above all. Do you know what that means in Greek? Above all. Keep fervent in your love for one another. That word fervent means at full stretch, press it. Keep fervent in your love for one another. It's the only way they can exist as a little tiny enclave in a hostile world. Unless they have unity and love for one another, they'll be broken to pieces by hostility. Puts a lot of pressure on a church. A lot of stress when you know you're being persecuted. You wonder, well, is it worth it? And the believers start turning on one another. That's why it's such a strong word about the elders later. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Without love, we could never live with one another. We see each other's faults and, and the fatal flaws, and after a while we get sick of it. But love covers. Just like your children. I couldn't live with your children. I'd probably kill them. But you live with your children. Why do you live with your children? The little rascals, you know, it's like the mother said, oh, you should see them when they're sleeping. They look like angels. But in the daytime, you know what they look like. But anyway, you live with your children. And you put up with them. Why? Because love covers. It covers. And that's how we put up with one another's faults. It covers. But then he gives you a specific, be hospitable to one another. Notice the one another command there. Hospitality to one another. In other words, it's in the body he's talking about. Let's talk about strangers, people you've never met. Hospitality towards one another. It's one of the many one another commands. Hospitality is a one another command. But then he says, without complaint. And the reason he says that is hospitality is not easy. It's, it can be very hard. It's costly, and uh, it takes a lot of work. It's very inconvenient. People ruin your furniture, get uh, food all over your rug. A lot of terrible things can happen. It reminds me one time we had this wonderful family over. Their children weren't so wonderful. And uh, while we were getting ready to eat, I look into the uh, living room. This is the honest truth. And here is this boy taking the curtain, standing on the couch, and swinging over to a chair on the curtain. So I went into my wife and I said, Dear, there are some monkeys out in the living room swinging on our curtain. She said, Well, I wanted new ones anyway. It can be very inconvenient and troublesome. So he says, Now, listen, do this. Do this without grumbling. Grumbling doesn't create love, by the way. It causes disharmony. So, you have to have a positive attitude towards this. It's hard work. It costs you money. It can cost a lot of money at the end of a month. And uh, it's costly on your home. And then Hebrews chapter 13. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. Another one of these marvelous passages. Now, do you notice that in each of these passages, hospitality was in the context of love? Did you notice that? Have you been awake? How many are sleeping? Raise your right hand. Or at least you're honest. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Let love of the brethren continue. That's Philadelphia. And we saw that in Romans chapter 12 with another word for love, which means tenderly warm and familial. Puts two words together. So let love of the brethren continue. Okay, let's be frank. That's abstract. It's indistinct. What in the world does it really mean? The, the handshake, the smile, the greedy, love your brother. So he tells us here. Let love of the brethren continue. And he puts this in a reverse negative. 
Do not neglect or do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. And so he's saying here, again, uh, brotherly love is worked out in the home. It's worked out at the table. It's worked out when you sit on the couch and you open up your lives to one another and you find out about one another. It's amazing how many years you can work together with people, be together in church with people, and you really don't know a thing about them. You don't know when they were saved, you don't know when they were married, you don't, you don't really know them except the superficial meeting of Sunday, Sunday morning. But when you open your home and you sit down and you share your lives and you find out how one another was saved, you find out some facts about one another, where they came from, uh, what life is like for that person, all of a sudden on Sunday morning you see that person totally differently. Now what he says here is do not forget hospitality. Do not neglect hospitality. Now he says there's rewards in hospitality and he doesn't mean there's going to be angels incognito at your table. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, but they're all the Lord's people. And never forget Matthew 25, 44. When you do something for a fellow believer, Christ is living inside that fellow believer. And Jesus said, well, you did it to me. Now, if Jesus came here today and he was uh, in the congregation, he'd all run after to say, can I take you to lunch? Would you like to come to our house? Will you bless us? Uh, can I do anything for you? But if some poor uh, soul came in here with a little bit smelly clothes on, you probably would uh, dodge over to the coffee table as fast as you can and don't look back. Or maybe you should get security to check this out. Who is this person in our church? But when you have someone to your home as a Christian or when you take them to lunch or when you do some kind deed for them, you're actually doing it for Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Because Christ is in them. So, when you have people to your table and to your home, there will be unexpected rewards. There always is. You will learn much. You will find this very, very meaningful in life. We have found missionaries, people who teach us a lot. I think of my own children, my four daughters, how much they have learned and how they were matured through hospitality. Learn to sit at a table, first of all. And learn to set a table, learn to work real fast to get set up and take down. You know, when our four daughters got married, we said, this is terrible. We have to do this ourselves now. <laughs> they wouldn't even send their, their children over to help us anymore. They were all so busy. I even offered to pay my grandchildren to come over and help us, and they won't do it. <laughs> there will be many unexpected rewards from hospitality Things that you will see much later in life. And then uh, we see overseers are to be hospitable. Now, if you were to say to the average pastor or theologian, um, what are the qualifications? Well, you would say something like, well, they must go to seminary, cemetery. They must be properly licensed. Uh, they must be lawfully ordained. Uh, they must believe certain doctrine, have to look a certain way. But in the list of qualifications, we read this. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires. An overseer then must be above reproach. You know that. Husband of one wife. Two wives is too much trouble. Temperate, prudent, respectable, 
Did you know that was there? Hospitable. Do you know that was even there? And when you tested to see your pastor, did you ever ask, are you hospitable? Do you have an open heart, open home? Or do you have a, a closed home, closed heart? Now, why would this be a qualification? There's a number of reasons, but a, a chief reason is that our work is people. We're in the people business. We're not building cars. And I'm glad we're not building computers. I hate those things. Love them and hate them. We're in the people business. And we're in the edification business. As Steve said, we're in the equipping business, the preparation business. And you can't do that one hour a week. You can't do it from a distance. You can't ride in on a white horse and say, my blessing upon you all. You've got to get intimate. You have to know one of them. Because we're a family. We're an extended family. And what did I say about that family? What kind of family is it? Real. It's a real, genuine spirit family with the spirit of the DNA through us. And then the last thing here is uh, of the widows. First Timothy 5.10 and I want to just read this to you. It's a bigger picture here. Just get this real quickly here. A letter widow be put on the list only if she is less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. Now listen to this. this. This is the word of the Lord. Having a reputation for good works. And if she's brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the... Uh, saints feet if she has uh, assisted those in distress and if she has devoted herself to every good work there's a bigger point here and the point is this god is saying that's the lifestyle i want of my people i don't want a widow being cared for by the church and she hasn't had a lifestyle of good works there's actually a problem in this church with the widow's list because it, the uh, charitable aid was being terribly abused and families this, we've had this in our church throw their widows, their own widowed relatives, onto the church to support. We've had that. Want us to take care of them, do all the work. One man said to me, oh, I just can't bear seeing my mother getting older. I said, what, are we supposed to bear it? Yeah, I just can't bear it. So he literally wanted us to support his mother and visit her and, and see her. He couldn't do it because he can't bear her seeing older. Oh. oh, how do we put up with it? Anyway, that was a problem in Ephesus. People were throwing their widows on the church. And Paul says, no, no, we're going to limit this. But here's what I want you to get. The lifestyle. This is a busy lifestyle of good works. Washing people's feet. Helping people in distress. So, really, when you read this, don't, don't pawn this off on widows. That's what we're to be like. That's what the Lord loves in his people. Now, we see the scripture teaches this. So let's look at some real quick uh, practical applications of this. Second, in your outline, if you're looking at your hospitality promotes loving Christian community. Not churchy love, but real, genuine Christian community. Now, I do not have the time to go into this, but somewhere when I was about 20, 21 years of age, through a series of very unfortunate events and conflict, terrible conflict, seen in my church, the Lord put a fire in my heart and a subject of interest in my mind that has gone on for over 50 years. It seems to me the Lord gives his servants uh, usually a special subject of interest or a burden. For example, J.I. Packer said it was the inspiration of Scripture, that it was a lifelong interest. Uh, John MacArthur would be a lifelong interest in 
systematic Bible exposition. He keeps hammering away at that for 60 years. Well, it's a special thing the Lord puts in your heart. You have other subjects to study, but you always come back to this subject of interest. Well, the subject of interest that the Lord put in my heart at around 20 years of age is the spiritual (coughs) tone of the church. Let me repeat that in case you didn't hear it. The spiritual tone of the church. When people come through that door, it doesn't take long to sense the culture of this church, or I'd like to call it the spirit of the church. That's why Revelation 2 is so important. Jesus was reading the culture of the church, the spirit of the church in Ephesus, and he said, you got a lot of good things. I love them all. I commend you for them all, but I have this against you. You have lost that fire of love you once had. And so, like dumb sheep, you're going through the motions. It's all mechanical now. The creativity, the spark, the life, uh, the joy, it's not there. And we can be dumb sheep, and we can be churchy, and go to church, never miss church, go to the prayer meeting, but we're really, it's, it's rather dead. Or we're full of arrogance and pride, and we're contentious. If you were in the church at Corinth, it was a very contentious church. Every church in the New Testament had different personality. So my personal area of interest, and I've done five books on this, is this whole area of conflict, the culture of the church. A church can be very cold, it can be very impersonal, it can be unfriendly, have great coffee and donuts, but really there's not much else. Now, if we want to be truly a loving, caring, warm, familial, extended family church, One way, it's not the only way, is through cultivating one anothering in our homes. You can only do so much on Sunday morning. But when I invite people to my home and we have dinner together or lunch together after church, I see them differently next time. I know they see me totally different. Uh, We have had thousands of people in our home in the last 45 years. But I've heard this maybe... 50 times. People into our home, new people come to church. We have them over Sunday, Sunday afternoon after church. And here's what I have heard many, many times. I've never been in a pastor's home before. I said, do you think it's different? Do you see any dungeons or anything? Did you think there were angels here? We're just a home exactly like yours. Next Sunday, they see me as a different person. They see me as a person. But I ask them their testimony. I ask them when they got married, got saved, find out about them, and I tell them about us. It produces a culture of family and love and warmth and togetherness. Uh, hospitality is a way to serve. You have this, I hear this a lot. I'm sure you hear it. I don't know how to serve. What, what am I supposed to do? I don't teach. I don't know the Bible that well. What can I do? Well, you can open the doors of your house. Uh, or if... Some of you can't do this because maybe your spouse won't allow it. And that's all right. You just can't do it. The Lord knows that. Or there may be some other extenuating circumstances, such as health reasons. You can't do this. Join with others and do it. One man in our church who lives far away comes in every Sunday. And he's a very hospitable brother. And every Sunday or every ever the Sunday, they'll take new people from the church out to lunch. He just put it in their budget. They go to a restaurant, hopefully a cheap restaurant. Hopefully those people don't eat a lot. And every Sunday he takes people out. There's other things to do. Even potlucks can can serve for those who can't do this. 
And then hospitality is a tool for evangelism. Most people will not come to your church. I have neighbors all around me. Most of them don't even, aren't even married. And they're afraid of me. You know, I'm going to preach at them or condemn them or who knows what they think. But anyway, they will not come to our church. I've asked and asked for years. In fact, one neighbor across the street, finally, after years of asking, came last year at Easter. He didn't come this year. He even said he liked it. It was bearable. But they'll come over for a hamburger cooked out in the backyard. They'll come over at different times of the year to eat. And uh, they will go out to lunch with you. It's a powerful tool for evangelism. It's really almost one of the only ways you can reach some of your neighbors. Have them over for a meal, do a hamburger, cook out in the backyard, make it casual, make it uh, not formal. Listen to what Michael Green reads in, in that famous book, Evangelism in the Early Church. Listen to what he says. One of the most important methods of spreading the gospel in antiquity, he says, is the homes like Aquila and Priscilla as an example. Homes like this must have been exceedingly effective in evangelistic outreach of the church. Your relatives, people you work with, they all love to eat. I can guarantee you that. My father used to say the only people who don't like to eat are people who are sick. So if you're feeling well, you like to eat. People will eat with you. Your, your home can be a lighthouse in a dark neighborhood. And then hospitality is many unexpected rewards. I don't want to go into that right now. It's the education of your children, building rich relationships. People bless you. I could tell you stories of people who have blessed us that are so amazing. Like one lady I found on the street after leaving in our church. I only saw her one minute. I saw her walking on Easter morning. I saw her walking to a restaurant. My wife was in the hospital with our third child. My mother-in-law was at our house cooking for the rest of the family. Great cook. And I saw this older lady going to the restaurant. I knew exactly where she was going. I flipped around with my car. I said, where are you going? She said, to the restaurant. I said, not on Easter morning or not. Get in my car. Took her home to my house. And she ate with our family. For the next 25 years, this, this woman from Ireland who had never, never married was a house cleaner, served our family, came every week to our family and ironed, cleaned my shoes, did any work Marilyn wanted. She was retired. Now, what could a maid make? What could a maid make? Well, an Irish maid who saves every dime and puts it in mutual funds for 60 years winds up having a lot of money. A lot. And when we needed to get a home, because the home we were in renting was, at, and I was six, five people living with us, and my wife and I, seven of us, and a whole bunch of other junk with us, we couldn't get into a home in 1987. We couldn't. We could not afford a home for the size of our family. This lady said, well, I didn't tell you this, but I put you in my will. It's no use giving you the money when I'm dead. I'll get you in that home. And then when we built a new building, she helped. And then she said, I'm going to clean your building for free. The church. I mean, the blessings this lady was upon us were just incredible just because I picked her up and wouldn't let her go to a restaurant. By the way, she had been to another church for two weeks before and no one said hi to her. Ah, we got all the blessings from her. Boy, was she something. What a blessing to our missionary she was. All right, I have to end now because the brethren will get mad if I go on much longer. And I promise to stop before 12 noon. All right, helpful hints, real fast, real fast. And you can read it in the book if you don't get it. Set a regular time each month, each week, whenever, when you do this. If you don't set a time, it won't happen. You're all too busy. That's the biggest problem in modern Western society. I hear this so many times, someday I'm just going to throw up. Oh, I'm so busy. If anyone ever comes up to me and says, 
I'm at peace and rest. I will, die. I, will, I will have some kind of massive heart failure or something. Everyone is so busy. If you don't plan this, it won't happen. Even you do it a couple times a year. That you say, we're going to have some people from the church that we don't know. Don't just have your friends over. Luke 14, 13 says this. Jesus said, when you have hospitality, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind... You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. That's what our Lord says. And don't just invite rich, charming, funny people to your home. Invite those that no one invites. Second, make a list of people who would be encouraged by hospitality. It's it's one of the most encouraging things you can do for lonely people. I remember a man in the church I knew very well. His his, uh, wife died. His children all lived far away. And one day he said to me, Alex, you have no idea what it's like eating every meal alone. It's terrible. And people like that, it's such an encouragement to them. Students away from home. People going through trials to be invited to your home. Remember to invite people to your home for holiday seasons. Make sure uh, Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas and Easter, you, you make an effort as a church. Make sure no one is without a home. Be creative with your guests. Don't just sit and eat and gobble down the food as fast as you can and get going because you're so busy for the day. Ask good questions like, how did you get saved? When were you baptized? How did you meet each other? When were you married? Do you have children? And if you ask the right questions and stimulate the conversation, you're going to find out who the people in your church are, your family members, who you probably don't know that much about. And you might even get shocked. And then teach hospitality. You know, you've asked me to teach hospitality. How many of you could really ever say, I heard a sermon on hospitality? Probably none of you. And then, volunteer for missionaries and the Lord's servants. We have learned so much through missionaries. Uh, Now, let me quote, let me stop here with a quote, or I'll never be asked back again. Uh, Helga Henry was the wife of the very famous theologian Carl Henry, who was the editor of Christianity Today in the early days with Billy Graham. And uh, you wouldn't think this academic theologian would know anything about hospitality, but his wife writes this, and with this I close. Christian hospitality is not a matter of choice. It's not a matter of money. It is not a matter of age, social standing, sex, or personality. In other words, men can do this as well as women. Christian hospitality is a matter of obedience to God. There are five direct hospitality commands. Let us close in prayer.